Dan and I had an opportunity to attend SMI together for one year. Dan went on and finished. I flunked out. Um, <laughs> but I uh, did go back and finish later on. But in that process, uh, we had some interesting uh, times to share together. One of the emails he sent me was he commented on, uh, he goes, Tim, just, just go ahead and share your testimony. Uh, you're a great man of God. And what I want to do is, first of all, kind of rearrange those words and straighten that out, that I, I'm just a man. And the only thing great in me is, is the God that has been able to uh, give himself to me and Jesus that's been able to come to me. Um, what kind of letting the cat out of the bag here about what I'm going to talk about is share about my journey through cancer. And I, I want to make sure that make the aware of that, too, that there was a lot of years of smoking and drinking that went into that cancer. That I stand here as a sinner before you, only saved by the grace of God. And that's the only uh, reason that I'm, I'm alive today. And I feel that um, the only reason I'm compelled to share with you is because through that process, God moved mightily in my life. And it's that, that he can move mightily in a sinner like me, then he can certainly move mightily in anyone's life, and in your life, no matter what you're going through. What I uh, decided to talk about today was uh, defining faith. Um, if we look faith up in the dictionary, it says... Um, that faith is a confidence or a trust we put in a, a person, a, a thing, or a deity, um, a hope, if you will. As believers, sometimes we're asked to um, let our faith be our guide and to trust in our faith. Sometimes we have an opportunity where faith actually kind of defines who we are as a person and what we do. I had a situation such as that in uh, August of 2008. I was just living a normal life and, and running around. And I noticed some lumps in my throat. When I would shave, I would, hmm, there's a lump there. And I thought I picked up some type of infection, an allergy or something like that, and had a physical schedule. So I, I went to the doctor, and uh, the guy does the whole physical. doesn't even notice. I'm like, hey, what about these? And he's like, oh, that's not good. And um, Make a long story short, they did a lot of testing, did CAT scans, did x-rays, everything, uh, did blood work. He calls me back in and said, you know, we're real concerned about this. This isn't normal, and uh, we think you might have lymphoma, which is very treatable, and, you know, we can handle that. And he said, but what we really need to do is we need to have a surgery where we just make a slice in your throat and take one of those lymph nodes out and uh, analyze it. That is the best way. I go, isn't there another way? No, there's no other way. That's the best way to do it. And so, yeah, I went home thinking about that, and I said, you know, of course, saying, well, you know, i got to go to Denver next week, and I can do that in a couple of weeks. He goes, no, you're going to do it now. Oh, lovely. So I went home, and I'm thinking about that, and, and I had lived 52 years at that time, and really except as a child, never been in the hospital, never been sick, never had any issues or anything like that to contend with. So I, I wasn't really happy with the whole situation. And in reality, I was scared about it. So I would go to bed at night, and I'd be praying about that. And I would fall asleep, and I'd have this dream. And this dream was in this open area, maybe about the size of this, but it was outside. And there was people all around, but there was this wind that I could hear through my ears. 
And I would wake up, and the dream would go away. So this went on for several nights, and finally it just dawned on me that from reading the Bible and and what I knew, that this was a, a vision of where in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and everything. It was like I was there. It was really cool. But at that point in time, I realized that I needed to pray for the Holy Spirit. So I, uh, I did. I, I prayed and I asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I asked him to uh, take away any fear I had about that, what was going to happen. And I also asked him to take away any pain I would have with that. A couple days later, I had to go back to the doctor for some typical follow-up stuff before you have surgery and whatever they do, a cardiogram, blood work, stuff like that. Had a doctor we've had for years, and uh, I went in and had the test done. After it was done, I was ready to leave. He had me go back in the exam room, and he grabbed one of the nurses and ran in there with me and sat down and said, uh, you know, you're really headed down a rough road here. And I go, Really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, uh, let me pray for you. So he sat down with me and prayed. And uh, I really appreciate a doctor that's willing to pray for you. I'm not sure if that's going to be covered under Obamacare this year. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I really did appreciate it. On, on September 4th, I had my first surgery. Immediately afterward, the doctor comes into the recovery room or the room we're in and says, bad news. You got cancer, squamous cell carcinoma. Not very good. Um, but um, we don't know exactly where it is. We're going to have to send you out for some more testing, get that all analyzed and everything, and see exactly where it's coming from. Because it's, if it's in your lymph nodes, it's just being caught there. It's coming from somewhere else. So I said, okay, no problem. We'll do that. Um, but the thing that amazed me most is that I didn't have any pain with any of that. I never felt a needle stick me. I never had any issues with that surgery at all. And that kind of stuck something in my mind that the whole Holy Spirit thing and everything worked. And it worked for me. I went back later on for the results to that surgeon. I had to go and get uh, what they call a CAT scan and had an intensified CAT scan. And they do a PET scan where they uh, put you in a dark room. They set you in there. I don't know if anybody's had one, but... They, they put you in there for 45 minutes. They inject you with radioactive glucose. And then they set you there. You can't be activated. can't read. can't be activated in any way. You just got to be perfectly dark for 45 minutes. And they run you into the CAT scan machine. And any type of cancer will then show up and light up like a Christmas tree. So needless to say, they did mine. And it was a very nice Christmas tree. lit right up. Um, so as I was... Uh, Sitting there after doing all this, and I was uh, waiting to hear the surgeon go over the results and everything and what he thought. I was sitting in this um, little room, and I, I drive by the room all the time, and I remember it's kind of an odd room for a doctor to put you in because it had a window. And most doctors don't examine patients with rooms with windows in them. It was on the second floor, and, and the, um, the window was kind of narrow. And I remember just sitting there praying, and you get the opportunity to have real neat things go through your mind. Like, the guy's going to come in, he's going to go, you've got a month to live, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe two years. And you're like, wow, I wonder which one's going to be. So as you're, as you're sitting there praying and thinking about this, as true as I'm standing here, a vision came by that window. 
and that vision was someone in a purple robe. And that purple person in that purple robe pointed a finger at me. And with a voice of authority that came to me, gave me five words. And those five words were, you get a second chance. Now, about that time, the doctor flew in the door, and he started shouting all this stuff out and explaining things to me. And I'm like, stop. I just missed all that. You can't believe what just – anyway. So he, uh, he goes on to explain that um, I definitely have cancer. He said they could not find the tumor or exactly where it is, but I definitely have it. And he said it's just – the good news is we may have caught it early enough that um, – it's going to be to your benefit. He goes, the bad news is if we can't find a tumor, then we're going to really treat you pretty hard to make sure it gets killed because we're not sure where from here up it, it possibly is. So um, he referred me out to an ENT doctor that specializes in throat cancer. I went out to the ENT doctor, young guy, liked him, met him. Uh, he said, yeah, this is just going to be a piece of cake. He goes, you're not going to do much with me right now. He goes, but I'll be managing your whole case. He goes, it's going to be great, lots of fun. He says, so you need to go visit an oncologist. You need to go visit a radiologist, and they'll tell you what's going on. So I go, oh, okay, this is going to be a breeze, you know, a little chemo, a little radiation. And as he started to walk out the door, he turned around and looked at me. He goes, you know, this is going to be a life-changing event. I go, hmm, okay. I just kind of thought it was going to be a piece of cake. So I went to the oncologist, went to the radiologist, who sent me out to an oral surgeon. At that point in time, they said, well, you know, six weeks of chemo is normal, but due to your situation, we want to do 12 weeks of chemo. Started off early with six weeks. He goes, it'd be in our best interest to put a tube in your chest because if that gets to be difficult, then, you know, it will be easier with the tube in your chest. Went to the radiologist. Radiologist says, well, you know, we're going to radiate your throat area, so it's going to get so narrow you're not going to be able to swallow, so we probably ought to put a feeding tube in your side because that will make things a lot easier, you know, should you get malnutrited. You can't tell I'd be malnutrited, but should you get malnutrited, you know, it'll, uh, we'll be able to, to feed you through that tube. And he also said, uh, also I'm referring you out to an oral surgeon. I didn't know I needed any oral surgery, so... I go to the oral surgeon, and he goes, uh, well, the reason he sent you over here is because the magnitude of the radiation we're going to give you, if you were to happen to have a toothache, a cavity, need a tooth pulled, your jaw would not heal. They've had people literally die from a toothache that occurred during radiation. So what we're going to do to prevent that is we're going to pull all your teeth, and that will simplify everything. And you know, it wasn't getting real simple. And I got uh, uh, a little upset about it. I called the ENT doctor back and I go, hey, what about this being a big piece of cake here? A little radiation, a little, you know, chemo, and it's all going to be done. He goes, I did tell you it'd be a life-changing event. And I go, that you did, that you did. And uh, he very politely said, well, what? I'm trying to save your life here. That's what we need to do. So I was thinking about that and uh, in Spokane at Life Center North, I was talking to our pastor, and um, and we were just chatting, and, and he said, uh, you know, I want you to come to worship night here next week. He goes, there's going to be a man there that uh, may have a gift for healing, and that's Adam's dad. And he said, uh, so come there, and, and you need to get prayer for this and, and everything you're doing. And I go, 
great, I'll do that. So I did go to worship night, had a good time, went down, had Adam's dad pray for me. And the thing that amazed me most is when his father prayed for me, he put his hand right on my throat and he goes, I hope all these treatments and all this stuff you're going to go through works for you and that it heals you. And I pray that all of that will, will go well. And I kind of looked at him, you know, somebody's praying over you and you're there like this. And when he said that, I kind of went, what, what, I want to heal. You know, I, what do you mean all these treatments and all this stuff, you know? So, uh, so I was actually a little bit concerned, you know, about all that and kind of, kind of grumpy about it. And, uh, the next day I was around home and, um, praying about it and kind of upset with God. I was praying about it and I said, you know, what's up with all that? And, uh, and God said to me, uh, you know, you've had two surgeries now and you haven't had any pain, have you? And I go, no, none at all. And he said, uh, I said, but, you know, it's just starting to feel like it's going to get awfully hard. And he said, I want you to be aware of two things. One is, while you, you're going to have two more surgeries, you're going to go through all these treatments, and I and the Holy Spirit are going to be with you. And you're going to sleep through these surgeries. But they will not, and they'll feel all that pain for me. And the other thing God told me in that was, during this process, you and I are going to get to be much closer. And that truly did happen. Um, One of my favorite verses from all that is Psalms 46.10, where it says, Be still and know that I am God. It kind of moves me at that point. Um, Some other things come into your life when these things happen to you and you're thinking about now. um, I've been married nearly 37 years. I've been uh, blessed with a wonderful Christian wife. Um, Laura's father, who was a good friend of mine um, years ago in his 50s, got lung cancer and a couple years after that passed away. The thing that bothered me about that is I also got along with my mother-in-law pretty well. And I remember going over to visit my mother-in-law and talking to her and trying to get her to go to church with us, trying to convince her that she should go to church with us. And she wouldn't. She just felt awfully cheated. She felt, how could God do such a thing, take her husband away like that? So, you know, I would try to share things with her to easier. And I can understand someone's grief if you've had something like that happen. But, um... I just couldn't bear the thought of something happening to me and my wife or somebody that loves me holding that against God. And so I sat down with my wife and, and I said, you know, if, um, if we've been Christians and if, and if we believe that, you know, there was a God, that God had a son named Jesus. He walked this earth. He died as a criminal, was crucified and rose again so that we can have eternal life. Then the the thought of my life being less than that much of information through all that should have nothing to do with what we believe. And thankfully, she agreed with me and um, agreed that she would not let that happen. And that, that actually lifted a big burden off me and made me feel a whole lot better through that process. Um, I imagine almost everybody here knows someone who has had cancer. Uh, 
maybe you do have cancer, or maybe someone you love does. Uh, maybe you're going through a particularly rough time, uh, a divorce or an addiction or something to you that might feel like cancer. Uh, I want you to believe me today that God loves you very much and um, that he's going to use that to become closer to you. That it's hard to feel that when you're going through something like that, but he loves you very much. He did not do this to he did not do this to hurt you or someone around you. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us through the good times and shouts at us through the bad. God and I did become much closer through that whole thing, and uh, many more things happened. Guys from church came out and uh, worked on our farm. That's a whole other process there that life taught me, and and I learned through that because if if someone out here is in need of something and I can give it to them but they're not willing to take it that's a bad thing because I don't get the privilege of giving and they don't get the privilege of the gift so when I was willing to let people come out and work at our house and and do things uh, we have a small farm my wife raises sheep and um, but twice people come out guys I don't I do know who, but people come out and brought truckloads of gravel and put in our driveway and things like that and never asked for anything in return. So it was just a a wonderful thing that it happened to us. Adam come out and dug post holes. And uh, so if anybody needs a post hole dug, this, this is your man right here. I remember he was real happy about that. Um, so as I, as I try to recap here, I want to I go over three things um, that made a big difference to me. And the first of, first of all was prayer. The amount of people that prayed for me was amazing. Um, and I still run into people at church that doing something with the special needs ministry or something like that. Folks will, oh, aren't you Tim? Uh, yeah. Why? Well, our small group way back when prayed for you for a long time and just breaks your heart. And you had no idea. Didn't have any idea who these people were. Yet they were willing to, uh, to pray for you. And I think that made all the difference. I, I firmly believe prayer changes things. Um, there's a story about a lifelong cab driver and a pastor. They both became old, died at the same time, arrive in heaven at the same time. The pastor's there and he's greeted by St. Peter and says, welcome to heaven. And he's given a fairly typical brown robe and said, good job, well done. And the cab driver is there too. Well, he's given this fine robe and people are just consumed with his presence and all excited about him being there and everything. And so finally the pastor goes to St. Peter, what's what's going on? He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, what's the deal with the cab driver? Everybody seems to be all excited over the cab driver being here. I've been a pastor all my life. And he goes, well, you see, when you preached, people slept. And when that cab driver drove, people prayed. (laughs) So prayer prayer makes a huge difference. Um, Ephesians 6.18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. 
One of my favorite verses, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, very simply says, pray continually. Try to mentally pray continually. When you're driving down the road, when you're doing other things, great time to pray. Um, it does change things, and it makes a difference. When I, when I went into the radiation part of things, uh, did the first six weeks of chemo, went to the next six, six, six weeks of radiation, five days a week. I would go in there, and they had a thing they put me in. They had made it for me. They fitted me with a uh, kind of a, a thing that went from here up. And when you're laid down on a table, it was like a screen door, but it was plastic, and it was molded. They heated it up and molded it to fit my face perfectly and, and everything. And they had it so that it just uh, held me perfectly still. You couldn't move a, your face or your head a quarter of an inch. So for 15 minutes every morning for six weeks, I was held perfectly still. And I thought about all the times I had said, you know, Lord, I'm going to take this Bible this year and I'm going to read and I'm going to commit myself to prayer 30 minutes. And it's like, nah, I can't do 30 minutes. Um, you know, I think I'll try 15 minutes. Maybe that'll work out. But uh, I remember laying there and thinking, you know, I can either hold myself still for 15 minutes, or maybe God can find a way to hold me still for 15 minutes. So I would use that 15 minutes to pray as hard as I could for everybody else that I knew was praying for me and everybody that would come into that room and have to deal with the things they're dealing with. Um, and I believe I'm alive today because of all the people that prayed for me. Um, the Holy Spirit. The, the last thing, I, or the next thing I wanted to bring up was the Holy Spirit. I don't have enough knowledge or time to say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit. Um, if we believe, I imagine most of us do, that there's a Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal. And we can get into great detail on that, but don't worry, I won't. And um, that Holy Spirit... We don't really pray that often. I don't know about you, but I don't pray that often to the Holy Spirit like I should possibly. So I try to do that more and more. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is a person much as the Father and the Son are persons. Also, the Spirit experiences all sinless elements involved with the divine personality. In Romans 8.27, it tells us the Spirit has a mind says, he who searches the heart knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In Romans 15:30, we know he loves, because it says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle in praying to God for me. We know he prays. In 8, 20, Romans 8:26, it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that we cannot express. The uh, last item, starting back when I took off, and if, from the very beginning, I, I wanted to talk about faith. And I, I mentioned that Dan and I went to SMI together, and we had a guy that come down and taught the class. It was from Priest River. And one time, and I don't know if you were, he had broke us up in small groups. I don't know if you were with us or not, but 
they, he brought down a guy from his church. And the guy from his church had some bizarre disease going on that the blood work would just go crazy. He would become sick. He'd have to be hospitalized. And he would end up in a coma for several weeks at a time. And then he would come out of it, and it's like it's all gone. And the doctors had no idea what was going on with him. And when we were in this little group, the man was telling me all this and everything. I'm like, wow. And he said, but my prayer life is awesome. And I went home, and I kind of thought that night, you know, I'll just stay healthy. I don't need my prayer life to be that good. I'm okay. But having had what's happened to me, I should track that man down and say he was 100% right. That I have been able to change 180 degrees from that to the point where people in church typically think I'm I'm a little bit wacko because I've met people that have been diagnosed with leukemia or something. And I go, really? That's cool. And because you're going to enter into something now with God that you could not otherwise walk into. And it's going to be great for you. Um, so faith. Uh, Matthew 9, 2 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he healed. He said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Um, Matthew nine twenty nine also says, Then he touched their eyes and, it, and said, According to your faith, it has been done to you. Most importantly, in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. So kind of what Dan was talking about earlier today in the service, that if we change the word um, grace for love, then that is God's love for everyone here and everyone outside of here. There's a chance for us to be saved and have eternal life. And he's offering that love just straight up to us. The only thing we got to do is have faith to accept it. That confidence I talked about. It's it's very simple, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing there's nothing any of us can do to earn that, no matter what we did. Um, my wife and I have had the privilege, as Dan mentioned, of leading a special needs ministry and watching that grow over about ten years, I would say. Um, and it was interesting working with special needs folks because sometimes they have a. a, a a special kind of attitude, kind of kind of like the attitude of a child sometimes. And in Matthew 11:25, Jesus says, "I praise you, Father of heaven, for you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to children." The special needs people have no problem with accepting the simple and sharing uh, their faith, and we know they believe because they by their actions they go out and invite everybody to church. Say no that. Growth in that ministry. I wish I could stand here today and said, "Yeah, me and my wife were just awesome leaders. We, we, we made that ministry what it." No, we didn't do any of that. Believe me, none of that. That was special needs people at their meetings, at the art, at school, in their programs, whatever, inviting the person next to them to come to church, and that's where that grew because they believed. And they had no problem sharing that faith. We have a, one of the girls that travels all over Spokane. She mostly walks. Occasionally she rides the buses. And she, she is one of those people that are fearless to ask anybody to come to church. And significantly grew that ministry. And the other day, 
she brought a young man in, and um, as I'm talking to the young man, I'm like, well, this isn't a special needs man. And I'm like, um, so how did you meet CJ? And she was on the bus, and she started telling me about church. So I'm thinking about coming here and serving. I go, what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a student at Moody, and I'm studying aviation, and I need a church to serve at, and it sounds like that special needs ministry is kind of cool. Could I serve there? And I'm like, you're a special needs person has invited a college student. You know, it, there's no, they invite their own leaders. There's no limit to what they're, what they're capable of, uh, of doing. The, um, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 3, um, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Laura's uh, best friend growing up, her and her husband, um, Sean and Lana, we were foster parents. They were foster parents. Uh, we uh, adopted a special needs daughter. They adopted a special needs son. So we kind of had some similarities there. He was going to seminary in uh, Missouri. And uh, we, we were living in Tennessee at the time, and we visited them in Missouri. And Sean was assigned to work at this really great big church, and they had an issue going on where they had a special needs man who would um, do those things sometimes special needs people do. He violated that, per, that personal space, and he would get right up in somebody's face and talk to him. And as he would do that, he had kind of a loud voice, and he was a little bit obnoxious about it. And, but he would walk right up in somebody's face and go, you know, Jesus. And, and if you were put back by that, heaven forbid you said no, and, and didn't know or, or waited very long to answer them, he would also in the same way look right in your face and go, if not, you go to hell. <laughs> and after a few months of this in the lobby, some people went to the pastor and they said, uh, you know, the guy might be offending people or something like that. And the pastor goes, okay, let me explain to me again what he does. So they went through the whole thing and the pastor goes, well, he's right, you know. So, by God's love, through that faith, um, nothing we can do to earn that. In closing, I just hope you have the opportunity to see God move mightily in your your life as well. And um, and faith, and prayer, and the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to lift you up through all this and adore you, Lord, and ask you to, uh, to just come over us and fill us with the Holy Spirit today. We ask you to make us good prayers. Make us people that want to talk to you, that want you to be our best friend and want to share with you daily, hourly, continually, every moment we have a chance because you're the person we want to talk to and be with. I pray that you'll, um, you'll lift us up and you'll give us faith. Faith that uh, can move mountains. Faith that can change things. And faith that we're not looking for some definition too, but faith that actually defines our life and the way we live. We just ask for all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Can we thank?